You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us, that you care about us. You know every need that we have. And Lord, we just praise you for this time of worship, just focusing and putting our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, right now, we just ask you, dear Lord, to tune our hearts into your word. Lord, may the subject that we speak of today be of comfort, not of fear. May, dear Lord, we find strength in the fact that one day you will come in all your glory and take us home. We pray, dear Lord, that you would make every heart sensitive to what you want to say today. And we ask you, dear Lord, to do what only you can do. And that is to bring repentance, to bring brokenness. Dear Lord, to bring salvation to those that need it. And dear Lord, to speed up and hurry along this process of sanctification in our own lives. And Lord, we give you all the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, and if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. We're beginning a new series today called Raptured, and we're going to be talking today about this thing of rapture, what it means. Uh, Years ago, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye wrote a series called Left Behind. How many of you possibly may have read some of that or maybe a book or two or something in it? Some of you have. Anyway, in that series, it deals with this thing of the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and some of these things. Now, I'm not here promoting that particular series. There are things in it that I don't necessarily agree with. But there is a lot that is good and good for reading. In the opening of that very first book of that series, it, it, if I remember, the scene is an airplane. It's a jumbo jet. It's on its way, I guess, from New York to London. And at a certain point, the stewardess comes into the cockpit or knocks on the cockpit door, goes in and says to the pilot and those in the cockpit, there are people missing. Uh, immediately, the pilot and co-pilot, they kind of laugh and say, well, people are up moving around a plane this large. You know, people are in the bathroom or they're here or there. I've been on those planes. I don't see how you can lose that many people. But anyway, they were trying to rationalize. And then the stewardess made this statement. If I remember correctly, she said, you don't understand People are missing. Their clothes are still there. Their outfits are exactly where they were are laying in the seats. But the people, it looks as if they have been taken literally out of their out of their clothing. They're gone. And then begins this long book and series called Left Behind. It deals with this subject of the rapture. It opens with that event and that is what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. So I 
want you, how many of you have your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, get near somebody that does because today we're going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at this real closely. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Now let me, let me lay again the background just real briefly. Paul had gone to this city called Thessalonica. Ledge preached uh, a sermon a while back out of this book when he talked to us about community. But anyway, Paul spent about three weeks in the synagogue there in Thessalonica establishing this new church. Um, Fran, I'd give you one of my halls, but I can't, I can't, give, I can't make no guarantee on them. But anyway, um, and we'll all periodically just kind of cough together because it's just going around. But anyway, Paul spent three weeks in the synagogue teaching and establishing this new church at Thessalonica. Now, the persecution became so intense that Paul has to get out of town very quickly. And he goes to this, he goes to another town, Berea. And he's there for a short time. They're trying to establish a church. And again, the persecution is so severe in Thessalonica and Berea that he finally goes to Athens. And there he's in Athens. And he sends Timothy back to try to encourage these these early believers there at Thessalonica. So here you have this early New Testament church. And eventually what Paul will do is he'll write a letter to the church at Thessalonica because these people, listen to this, once they identified with Jesus Christ are suffering, many of them are persecuted, some of them are being killed for their faith. And so what they did is they sent word to Paul through Timothy and they said, hey, wait a minute, what about our family members that have died? You talk about the second coming, and undoubtedly in those three weeks, Paul had talked about the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. And so they were saying, well, what about, what about these people, these believers, our family and friends who have died? What about them? And so that's the background of these verses. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning of verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, let me cough. <coughs> Don't you love those two words? For you that have experienced the death of a loved one here lately, don't you love those words? Don't you love how the Bible puts it? Paul doesn't say die. You don't hear Paul using those words. Paul's very gentle here. Even when he talks about his own death, he talks about it like a ship departing port. So here he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Boy, that's a great verse for those people who have lost somebody right now. We don't grieve like a, somebody who has lost all hope. Now watch it in verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Boy, that's great words. Let me tell you something. You know the first place you're going to meet your loved ones? If it's during the rapture, you're going to meet them halfway up. Isn't that great? They're going to be coming with Jesus. Boy, don't you envy them. So anyway, in verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, 
with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now watch this, verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Now that's where we get that word rapture, those two words there, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now look at the next thing. Look at that verse 18. Therefore, encourage, comfort each other with that hope. Isn't that great? And all God's people said, amen, amen. Now, you know, when I was a boy and my dad worked for NASA, a lot of times he'd take a trip and he'd have to be gone. And uh, sometimes he'd be gone maybe a couple of weeks. Now, as a, as a boy, uh, it wouldn't be long that mom would begin to remind me that dad was coming home, that he was going to return. Now, usually she did that when my behavior was less than desirable. In other words, she'd just simply look at me sometimes and she'd say, listen, your dad's going to be home soon and you, you better straighten up. Now, if someone had come along and convinced me that my dad was not going to return at all, then my mom would have had great difficulty with my behavior, right? In fact, to be honest with you, if I knew that I, my behavior was not accountable to my dad and his return, then who would I be accountable to? Really, probably me. In other words, I just behave and act like I want to. You see, you and I need to understand something, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is a critical component to our faith. And I think that in a lot of ways in America, that we've quit preaching this, and in some ways we've lost sight of it. Now, let me give you something here. You may say, well, you know, why is that important? Because, you see, because the return of my dad would encourage me, the fact that I knew that my dad was coming home would encourage me to, to behave and to do what he had asked me to do, right? Number two, um, accountability came with his return. In other words, when my dad would come back, he would then sit down and determine whether I'd been good and also whether I'd done what he had told me to do. So accountability was part of that return. Number three, if it's been a while, I might begin to doubt my dad's return. Let's say my mom said, well, I think it'll be home in a couple of weeks, and it, it's three weeks. Then I might begin to doubt my dad's return, and if it was long enough, as a boy growing up, there might come a point that I just really begin to struggle with the fact of whether he's going to return at all. Is that making sense to you right now? Okay, now I want you to take your right, take a right, and I want you to go to Second, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three. In Second Peter chapter three, beginning at verse three, because Peter also talks about this. In in Second Peter chapter three, beginning at verse three. Are you there yet? When you get there, say amen. amen. Peter writes, first of all, now again, these are people being persecuted. Just like Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, Paul was writing, Peter was writing to Christians that were under intense persecution. And so Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. You see that? 
Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now look at verse 10. Are you there? But the day of the Lord will come like what? Like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you and I to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. Now look at that. As you, it's not dread here. As you look forward to the day of God, and, and look at this, and speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, you and I need to understand something, that the driving force of the New Testament church was simply this. They believed that Jesus Christ was going to return. They believed in a physical, visible return of Christ. In fact, they would greet each other, Maranatha, which meant, Lord, come quickly. The apostolic fathers were convinced, listen to this, Paul, Peter, John, all of them. Listen, the apostolic fathers were convinced that they would be alive when he returned. Go back to, for us, uh, go back to Thessalonians again. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 one more time. Watch what Paul, look at Paul's wording here, personal pronouns in verse 17, what we read a moment ago. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Watch what Paul says. After that, what? After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort each other with these words. You see, the apostolic fathers, the early church fathers, they were convinced that they were going to be alive when Jesus raptured the church. You see, that was a catalyst. That was a, that was the, that was, listen, that's what kept them encouraged and about the kingdom's work. Now, some of us, and I don't know where this comes from, but a lot of times we think when it comes to the second coming, our thought is, well, you know, nobody knows, and maybe we ought to just leave that subject alone. You know, nobody knows. Jesus said, not even the angels in heaven. No one knows but the Father. So let's just leave that subject alone because why bother with it? My friend, listen, when you look at the Scripture, the longest answer that Jesus... Look at this. The longest answer that Jesus gave to any question that was ever asked him was contained in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And you know what it's about? 
his second coming. So Jesus was very much tuned into this idea. And listen, when the disciples asked Jesus, had, he could have just simply said, well, listen, guys, nobody knows, so y'all just drop that subject. Chapter 24, chapter 25 of Matthew is the longest answer that he gives, and he's talking about the second coming of Christ. Look at, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Because again, a lot of us think, well, you know, I don't know. I, uh, you know, that, man, there's all kinds of ideas and far out books and, you know, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I think the best thing to do is just leave that subject alone because, I, you know, you already said the Bible says he's going to come like a thief and we don't know when the thief is going to come, so why bother? Well, look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like what? He's using the same terminology that Peter used, like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness. Now look at this. It's critical. You see the transition in verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Now everyone look this way. He told us, Peter tells us, Paul tells us, he says, listen, this day when God takes us, wraps us his church and initiates and begins the last days as we understand him and know him, he, he, he makes it clear here, listen, he's going to come like a thief in the night. Peter said that. Paul said that. But then he turns right around and he says, what now? but whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's not going to come on you like a thief in the night. You're not children of the night. You're not children of the darkness. You're children of light. Now watch what he says in verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light. Sons of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be what? Let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, are you listening? But to receive salvation, that's deliverance. That's another word for the rapture. God delivering us out of this world through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Now, what's critical for you and I and what the apostolic fathers knew and what the early New Testament church knew and what you and I need to understand is stay with me here is what they believed about the rapture or the second coming of Jesus Christ. I think in Hebrews 9.28 it alludes to the second coming, actually calling it the second coming of Christ. Now, number one, the rapture is a moment somewhere in the future, Paul says, when God will snatch, he'll take up his bride, he'll, he'll take us up out of this world. Is what Paul said in verse 15 through 17 in chapter 4 when he said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's a moment somewhere in the future where God simply just snatches us. The word there, um, harpazo, the Greek word there means to snatch 
or to seize or to just rip up. It's as if God reaches in and takes his bride up out of this world. It is, in in some ways, it's the ascension reversed. If you look at Acts chapter 1, in I think verse 7, the disciples, when the Bible says that the disciples, and listen, 1 Corinthians 15 said 500 witnesses had seen the resurrected Lord. When they saw him, the last time they saw him, listen, remember this, in Acts chapter 1, they see him ascending, the ascension, he's ascending up into heaven. They're standing there watching him until he just simply disappears. When he disappears, the angels are around these early church apostolic fathers and they ask him, and they ask, why are you standing here still gazing? In other words, get busy now about the kingdom and then they made this statement because one day, just as he went up, he's going to come back down. Does that make sense? So you see, the early apostolic fathers, the New Testament church, we often wonder how in the world could Jesus take a handful of men, 11 men, a handful of women, and absolutely turn the world upside down? How could he take one man, the apostle Paul, knock down on the Damascus Road, so radically change his life, and he changed the entire Roman Empire? Wow! You know how they did it? They believed that at any moment, just as he went up, he was coming back down. And he was going to call him midair. Imagine that. Have you ever thought about the rapture? Have you ever thought about the day when the law of gravity will not work? When all of a sudden you're going to find yourself literally, physically rising up? meeting Christ in the air, at the same time a bodily resurrection of men and women, boys and girls in Christ, who will be rising up, all of us meeting Christ in the air. You see, that event right there ought to drive every single one of us to be about the kingdom's work. So this was a moment somewhere in the future where God will snatch or rapture or seize his people, and take us out. Number two, it was a comfort to the New Testament church. This wasn't fear. They weren't sitting around, oh, just fear. This was a celebrative event. Jesus talked about it like it was a wedding. Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it, like it was a homecoming or a family get-together, a gathering of loved ones. Let me say this. Why some in this room fear? Let me tell you why you fear. Because you're not sure of the validity of your salvation. That's the problem, isn't it? Some of you in this room, you don't like this subject. This subject makes you nervous. And the reason that it makes makes you nervous is because in all honesty, you're not sure of your salvation. That's number one. Number two, are you listening? Say amen. amen. Number two, you're not living the way Christ would have you to live. And your thought is, I'd hate to meet him right now the way I'm living my life. And there are people right now listening on the website, that's exactly their problem. They're either unsure of their salvation, the validity of it, they don't know whether they're really saved or not, and they don't know whether they might be, as as that series said, those two words, look this way, left behind. 
Number three, there's an element of surprise. You know what the Bible says? In an hour that you think not, so cometh the Son of Man. If I had asked you at the beginning of 1015 service, how many of you believe in the next hour that Christ will return, there would not one hand go up. I know that, not even mine. The Bible says, in an hour that you think not, so cometh the Son of Man. That's why this church, literally, that's why the New Testament church turned the world upside down. Let me ask you something. Are you ready? You know, we used to walk in the African villages and we'd say, Magatsirida kuenda kudinga here. Magatsirida means, are you ready? Kuenda to go, kudinga to heaven. Here means a question. Are you ready? When I was a boy, this subject was preached quite a bit. You never had a revival that an evangelist wouldn't spend at least one service dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And yet today, we seldom believe in it. But I want you to understand, in fact, I wrote this down, the credibility of that event according to Scripture is undeniable. I was listening to John MacArthur talking about the intertestamental period Reggie, he was talking about the, the writers, non-biblical writers, during the time of Jesus and the disciples. And it was unbelievable the amount of material and, and things that were out even during the time of Christ as to the coming of Christ. What will that event be, be like? Let me, let me walk you through what it might be like. People are going to wake up. Men and women are going to wake up and when they wake up, they're going to turn over and their husband or their wife are not going to be there. Now, if you're in a live-in relationship and you're not in marriage and you're living in adultery, you'll probably both be there regardless of where your name is on a church roll. That's why we got a lot of empty seats in this community, in this church. Jesus said two will be laying in the bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Parents will walk into a room. They'll walk into a toddler's room or a baby's room or a small child's room. And all of a sudden, a man may hear his wife scream and come running in there and say, someone has stolen our, our children or our child. Immediately, they'll call 911, but all circuits will be tied up. Every circuit will be busy. Parents will walk out, running out into the, to the streets, and, and they'll begin to cry out in desperation, trying to find their own children, only to find other parents, lost people who've never given their life to Christ on the same streets, crying out the same thing. Somebody has taken my child. At work, at the Nissan plant, the assembly line will shut down because godly men and women who work there, who wouldn't sit and listen in the break room to the crude jokes and who slept with who this past weekend, those men and women, they'll be gone. The Bible says two will be working in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Schools, teachers were, those teachers who slipped a Bible in their purse and had a prayer on their lips, those teachers will be gone. Oh, there'll be some of the faculty there and they'll be just as ungodly and immoral as they've ever been. Public educational system will just continue on, but there'll be godly men and women that will no longer be there. Classes will be without teachers. Students that have been laughed at and ridiculed for their faith, isolated and ostracized and pushed to the side by their friends, 
They won't show up for class that day or in the middle of class. They'll all of a sudden be gone. Oh, their clothes will be there. But they'll be exhumed, taken just like Jesus was to the burial clause. Government will continue. Congress will meet. They'll call an emergency session and Supreme Court, they'll gather to try to figure out what to do. And I'm going to make some of you mad. I don't know that the White House will be affected either. I used to believe in our president. I don't know anymore. His stand on same-sex marriage, his stand on abortion, his stand on some of the moral and ethical issues of this country make me wonder about him. I love him. I pray that he knows Christ. In fact, I pray if he ever listens to this message that he would know that, but I don't know anymore. The United States may be so crippled. Many people that study prophecy have said, well, where is the United States in, in end-time prophecy? There's an absence of it. I've always thought maybe it could be crippled because we're no longer a player in the world scene. It could be that there's no nation in the world that is affected more by the rapture of the church than America. Though we are nearly 300 million and though we may be ungodly, we are a nation that calls ourselves Christian. And our generals and our government and so many key political figures and all figures in all walks of America's life would be taken out. Godly Christian men and women in this city would be gone. They wouldn't be there anymore. This country could be so crippled by the rapture of the church that we're no longer a viable player in the end time. Churches will meet. Isn't that funny? <coughs> Churches will meet. Southside will be here. Some of you may be here. This church will be packed. They'll bring in chairs, make sure everybody's got enough room to be seated. I won't be here. I won't be here. My, my family won't be here. You won't have nobody to complain about anymore. Won't none of us be here. You can get whatever you want. You can have whatever kind of music you want. And you can turn it up or down, do whatever you want. It won't matter. I doubt there will be any complaining after the rapture. I'm sure churches will be full. They'll probably add a second service here. to be a traditional service. There'll be plenty of pastors... The old blessing bunch, they'll be right here preaching like they always have. Those men and men who've never who've failed to preach repentance, but were always preaching blessings and how you could get God to fill your pockets and put a big car in the garage and get put you in a nice home. All that bunch will still be here under this disguise of religion. They'll keep right on. There'll be a few worship leaders and ministers of music flapping their hands just like they always have before a dead choir, but it won't matter anymore. There'll be some churches that'll be tweaking their worship to 23 minutes and 14 seconds, just like they always have, making sure they've got the performance exactly right. Oh, churches will be here. The number one text on that day will be OMG. Oh my God. TV ministries will be on the air. They'll probably have record contributions. They'll be opening new, uh, new, new sites. 
There'll be deacons and pastors and church leaders, ungodly and moral, but they'll be here. Some churches won't even mess a beat. I got a feeling there'll be some churches in the world, in America, they won't even know the rapture took place. Denominations will go right on. The NFL will go right on. They'll just, they'll just be minus a few players. I heard uh, Tony Romo became a Christian. Cowboys have to find him another quarterback. They won't be laughing at Tim Tebow anymore. Won't be laughing at him anymore. Jets and Broncos and everybody else. It won't matter if Jacksonville grabs him or not. Jesus has already grabbed him. He'll be snatched out. In fact, if the rapture takes place in a morning, in an in a afternoon, Sunday afternoon, it's going to be kind of funny. That's going to be funny, isn't it? Right in the middle of primetime TV. All of a sudden, a saved, quarter, or a saved receiver goes out. A lost quarterback goes back to pass. About that time he throws the ball, you can just hear him. They'll be saying, well, so-and-so, he's going out, he's going out. He's running a post. Oh, he's on the 40, the 50. He's gone. Colleges, the altar of sports, where most universities compromise moral and ethical principles for the sake of their sports programs, that's all they're going to have one day. You listening on the web? Are you ready? Some of you on the web are living an immoral, ungodly life. And you can, are convinced that you can live the way you want to, like some of you in this room, and go to heaven. But you can't. Some of you are casual Christians. You just show up, do what you want to do when you want to do it. But your name's not written on the Lamb's book of life. Some of you choose a closet sin. You live in rebellion against the Lord and you dread His coming because you're not ready. Some of you in this room, you choose bitterness and pain. Some of you on the website right now who listen to these messages, you're sulking at home and or in your vehicle right now and your thought is, is uh, I'm mad at God, I'm mad at preachers, I don't like nobody. You're not ready for him to come back. I remember years ago, Dr. Ron Herod, pastor of First Baptist Church, Kenner, preached a sermon called What to Do If You Mess the Rapture. In this series, at some point, I'll do that. Let me ask you something. Are you ready? When Daniel heard the message of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, verse 17, when he heard about the second coming of Christ, in the end time, Daniel said, my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Did you hear that? Hear a godly man, an Old Testament pillar, one of the most righteous men in all the scripture. When he heard about the coming of Christ, when he heard about the end time, he said, my strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. John on the Isle of Patmos, when he received the revelation, that word in the Greek means to unveil, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he said, When I saw Jesus, and I began to hear this message, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. A man was walking through a cemetery, came to a tombstone, and 
On that tombstone were these words, Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Somebody had scratched in the dirt below that. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. Are you ready? The second coming of Christ in the rapture of the church either causes us to, in that moment, to just long, oh, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Or either it causes us to dread it. Because either we are lost but we are not living the way we ought to live. And we don't want him to come. Not, not now, Lord. He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. And he may be closer than any of you have ever realized before. Are you ready? Let's stand. Heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Let me ask you this, if you knew he was coming this afternoon. What would you do to get ready now? If you knew he was coming this afternoon, what would you do right now? Would you get saved? Would you say, Brother Jeff, I don't, I don't know whether I'm saved and I need to speak to a counselor because I don't want to take that chance. I don't, I don't want to risk that. Would you get saved? Would you make a commitment to Christ now? Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Jeff, there is areas of disobedience in my life. I'm not living the way I should live. I've done a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. Nobody knows. Some of you sin, but you sin secretly. He knows that. Some of you need to come to this altar and just simply repent. Say, Lord, get, I want my heart to be right. I want to be ready. I don't want to dread your coming. I want to long for it. I want, Lord, for my, that word, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. I want it to flow from my lips. Lord, just come quickly. Oh, Lord, come. So many family and friends I want to see that have gone on before me. Lord, there's so much peace that I can't find on this earth. I long to be in heaven. Lord, please come quickly. Lord, would you please come quickly? I'm ready. But if you're here today and you don't know and you're not sure, with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around, I want you to settle it today. I'm going to ask Reggie and Ledge to come. Counselors to be here. Some of our ladies to come and to be here at the front. And if God has spoken to your heart and you say, you know, Brother Jeff, I, I just simply don't know. I'm not sure. But I need to settle this and I need to do it now. Because this sermon scares me and I don't want to be afraid.
I want you to look this way, and we're still praying, and then we'll close. The last trip my dad made, we had moved it to out in the middle of the boondocks, out from a little place called Eden. We moved up on a hill. We had lived in a half-finished house. We poor as dirt. Dad was trying to finish up at NASA. He was still down there for several weeks. Mom told me, he said, your dad's going, he's coming home. It was, I think it was a Friday night. So your dad's coming home. He's, he's quit his job there and he's coming back for good. And we're, he's going to be home tonight. I was 13 years old. I, I waited and waited. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I begin to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe mom's wrong. Maybe he's not coming. Or maybe he's at a wreck, or maybe something's wrong. I love my dad. He listens every week. I want him to know that. Got a lot on him right now. Probably about one or two o'clock in the morning, I was laying in bed when all of a sudden I heard that old 1962 Ford pickup that he drove. I heard him coming up that hill, lugging up that hill. And I knew when he got up to the curb, to that turn there, because he had been coming home on weekends every couple weeks, but it was really tough on us. All of a sudden I heard the familiar sound of that old straight six and that old column shift as he shifted up to second gear and he made that turn up on the road there at the house. I knew, I knew the sound of that motor. I knew the sound of that gear shift. I jumped up. I screamed to the top of my lungs, one or two o'clock in the morning. Dad's home, he's home. I jumped up, I was in my underwear. I kicked, I, I pushed out, because a lot of times living out in the country, I'd go outside at night, just sit there under the stars. My screen wasn't in there very good. I just pushed it out and went right out the window. And here I was, 13 years, 13 years old, standing in my underwear, jumping up and down and dancing in the front yard, saying, Dad's home. Dad's home. He's home. Oh, my friend, listen. The second coming is not meant to scare you. Because it's not a mama going to a child's room and finding the child gone and her there. It's a mama grabbing that baby on the way up and saying, honey, we're going home. We're going home. It's a husband and a wife going up together. It's parents, children, it's people. It's all of us going up together. Do you know him? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? What would you do if he were coming this afternoon? I want you to look this way. Because whatever you do, you do it now. You do it now. And one day when you and I get to heaven, you'll look at me and say, Brother Jeff, thank you. This is just the beginning of this series. But are you ready? So Lord, we just ask you, dear Lord, to wrap your arms around us. We pray, dear Lord, we look forward to your coming and Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, who says, I just don't know whether I'm saved, then I pray, dear Lord, that they would come take the hand of Ledge, or Reggie, or me. They'd come sit down with Tamara or Emily and just say, I need to know, I need to settle this. 
I don't want to go through this series sitting on the edge of my seat, frightened and afraid. This is a homecoming, and I want, it, I want to be a part of the family. So, Lord, speak to our hearts in this invitation, and we give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.